morning. Hey, I'm beginning to, boy, this is the first week that I've, you guys come back, you came to the Christmas party, you came back to uh, Brenda's graduating, graduation party, and you're here today, so kudos to you. We are in the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews, uh, marvelous book. I'm enjoying it. hope you are too. Uh, we left off in chapter 5, verse 1. We've come to the place where we saw Jesus Christ, who is the living word, and he's brought before us as a great high priest, and a high priest that can sympathize, I, I like that, with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are. And the loophole is without sin. Hebrew tells us, let us therefore, those that are born again, those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you're living in this world at this age, we're all in need of that. Because the high priest that Jesus is, we have to understand now this book is being written to the Hebrews. No Jew would dare to think of, the, of coming to God without an intermediate ministry of the high priest. That was their mindset. And certainly this Hebrew Christian fellowship in Jerusalem, they're struggling at this time because they are worshiping Christ, the anointed one, as the Messiah, as they should. So they've turned away from all of the sacrificial system, from much of the feast, from the shedding of blood of animals to make atonement. No doubt they're being ostracized at this time. Some of the families probably consider them dead. They call that sitting Shiva. They've already got their gravestone, whether they're living or not, but to them, they're dead. So that's an unimaginable situation to these early Christian believers. And by the way, when this book is written, we know that the temple sacrifices has stopped because before 70 AD, probably around 64 AD, it was a struggle for them. So I believe the author is having to encourage these Jewish believers. Look, Christ, we've already said, he's greater than the angels because they believe, once again, the law was given, intermediate ministry by the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He couldn't lead the people into the rest that we talked about last Sunday. He's the high priest, Jesus Christ, of our faith, greater than Aaron. And then he's going to say he will answer the objection that will, the question is, well, how could Christ be a high priest if he was of the tribe of Judah? Because, you know, the high priest came from Aaron, the Levite's tribe. So they're saying, well, if he's a high priest, why didn't he come from Judah? But Jesus Christ is in the order of Melchizedek, and he's only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. There's four chapters we'll find out in Hebrews speaking of Melchizedek, chapter 7 through 10. And he said, we have 
We have a high priest now that he's touched with our infirmities, our weaknesses. We can come to him. He understands. We can find grace in time of need. So chapter 5, verse 1 says, for every high priest taken, selected. See, God never intended that office of high priest to be filled by a democratic selection. No, that's not the way God wants it. Sadly, in the time of Christ walking the earth, the high priesthood had become a political prize. Often, the highest bidder would be the high priest. Remember Caiaphas? He was the religious high priest, but that mob king Annas, he was the corrupt political high priest, the mafia, you might say, high priest. That's still going on today, by the way. I'm not going to talk politics, though. For every high priest, it says, taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. For the benefit of men, that he might offer gifts, full range of those offerings the priest would give, and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. He could deal gently. That's what the high priest was supposed to do, deal gently, not harsh with people. He would find that middle ground, the indifference to need not be anger, but to be angry with sin. He says, since he himself is also subject to weakness, That means probably something a little bit more different than it does now, but it's still true. You can have compassion. He says, can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are going astray. So those who refuse to listen, ignorance, in our study in Hebrews is going to be born out of that, the idea of to ignore. That's what it means here. It's not ignorance, not knowing something. It's to ignore what God is speaking to you in the sense of this person's infected with ignorance. No matter what you say, they ignore you like one of my dogs did when I'm walking them. They won't listen or do what you say. So it's ignorant in that sense. Verse 2, to have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. And that's passive like they're being led out of the way by the sphere of this world and all the media and everything else, and they're being led astray. Since he himself is also subject to weakness, the high priest, in other words, he's chosen from among men to minister on behalf of men. He should be compassionate on those that are ignorant and those that are failing to fall out of the way since he himself is also subject to weakness. Remember the high priests, they come from the line of Aaron. He realizes that he himself is a man that is sinful, made of the same stuff that you and I are made of. And he needs atonement for sin also. And remember the Levitical priest and the priest after the line of Aaron, it says in verse 3, because of this he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. 
So the idea was even in the priesthood, in the initiating of the priesthood, of course, Aaron, one of Moses' brothers from the tribe of Levi, then becoming the high priest of the nation of Israel. Remember when Moses went up on, the, on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments and Joshua went with him? And as they were coming down, Joshua says, hey, that seems like the sound of war. And Moses has to straighten him out. He says, no, that's not the sound of war. That's revelry. They're partying down there. That sounds, that sounds like sin. And as he comes down, remember, he finds the people worshiping a golden calf. And he was just there in the presence of God. That makes it even tough. He has the Ten Commandments in his arms. The people, when he gets down there, I'm sure they're all pointing at Aaron. And I believe he looks at Aaron and says, what have you done? I left you in charge, and this is the mess you have. And remember, Aaron's he cried out, the people, they gave me their golden rings, their, their golden necklaces, their, their, their golden uh, jewelry, and I put it in the fire, and that's all I did, and up pops this golden calf. Sounds like one of my kids when they were about five or six. So this priesthood, what I want you to know, it doesn't start out well. But we serve a God, they tell me, turns beauty from ashes. And that's what he's going to do with this priesthood. When you see Aaron in heaven, I don't want you to run up to him and ask him about this incident because you don't want anybody asking you about what we did down here when we messed up. It's all of grace that he needs to offer now for himself as well as for the people. Verse 3, because he's a sinner too. He is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Because he knew he was inclined to make missteps and fall into the same stuff, the same pattern that we do. So we're the priest in the priesthood. Uh, Leviticus 16.6 says, when it prescribes uh, what they did for uh, the high priest in their ordination, and it's always amazing to me when it came to the high priest, well, it says in Leviticus 16, 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Everybody else had a lamb or goat or something like that, but not for the high priest. He had to have a bull to make sure he understood that he was a sinner too. Since he himself is also subject to weakness. And when he offered for the sins of the people, they had to offer themselves also. Now, those who hold true, this is also true in ministry. God is gracious. I think you know that. I'm always amazed that God lets me do what I do. And I could never begrudge anybody their blessings from God because he lets me come up here every Sunday and Wednesday and teach. So how could I let anybody else try to stop anybody else for doing anything for him. I kind of think grace bestowed is grace received. 
and grace received is grace bestowed. If you understand God's grace, you're not going to be legalistic in your attitude towards others. You know, it can never be, I understand God's grace, but they need it more than I do. Because that is sheer legalism, and we shouldn't have that. If you understand that the guy next to you is blood-bought also and has no more right to be in the kingdom than you do, and that you're as blood-bought as he is, there's something there then of having compassion on others in whatever their struggle might be. And here it says, even amongst humans, Christ is our gracious heavenly high priest. Hebrews, it says, he, he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he understands our infirmities because he was tempted. We can run to him and know that he will be gracious to us. You know, when I make a misstep, when I fall, when I sin, I can think of no one better to run to than Jesus Christ. My mom was lenient. My dad wasn't so much. So when I would make a mistake or err, I would quickly run to my mom because she would understand. And she said, that's all right. And sometimes she would let me go free, and then sometimes I would get a whipping. But in all that, I knew my chances were much better with my mom than with my dad. But Jesus Christ Knowing our weaknesses, walking here on earth as a man, he's always considerate. He's always loving. He understands what we're made of. Even among earthly priesthood, those that were appointed, the high priests, were appointed from among men for the benefit of men. They themselves were to have, verse 2, compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. And when they made offering for sin, it wasn't only for the people, but the priests had to offer for themselves. And we see that as we study the Old Testament. Verse 4, he says, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So it's an honor because Aaron didn't deserve it once again. He's the guy who made the golden calf. It was an honor bestowed upon him, even though his sin was that great. He says, no man takes this to himself to be in the priesthood. You had to be in the direct line of Aaron, of Levi. It wasn't according to education in Israel. It wasn't according to your learning. It wasn't according to your IQ. You had to have the Levite genes in order to be the high priest. You had to be part of the family. He's saying, and of course, the same holds true today. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, that also is an extension of God's grace. Nobody takes that to themselves. It can't be handed out on a diploma or a certificate. That ordination is of God, just 
as it was back then. I told you about how I used to read the Bible when I was in prison, read the Bible over when I got saved over and over again. And I said, Lord, I could do this. He had given me a love for the world, the, the, the word of God, but I never thought I'd be here. And I don't take it as man appointing me. I take it as God anointing me to teach and giving me a love for his word. He says, no man takes this to himself, but he that is called as Aaron was. So also, here's the point, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. He didn't come down in a glorious robe and force his ministry of high priest on anyone, no. But it was he who said to him, it was God the Father who said to God the Son, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Monogamous is begotten. It means single of his kind only. Translating into English, we says the only one, only begotten. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, since it's Christmas season, it says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, speaking of Jesus, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He was called of God. He didn't seek the glory himself. Jesus says, the son doesn't bear witness of himself, but the father that sent me, he bears witness of me. Going back to Hebrews, he says, you are my son today. I have begotten you, the only one. Verse six, as he also says in another place. And once again, when he says in another place, he's wanting the students to, oh, yeah, this is where it says that in the scrolls. So he's bringing things to remembrance, trying to get them to understand. In another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now he's beginning to answer the objection because he knew what they were thinking that any Jew might have. Well, how can this man be a high priest because he's not from the tribe of Levi? He's of Judah, we know the Messiah would come from Judah. And the writer is saying, yes, he is of Judah, but the one who came from Judah is also a high priest, not after the order of Aaron, didn't come from Levi, but after another order, which is the order of Melchizedek. Then he's going to talk about that even though we won't get there this morning, making that point. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, Speaking of Jesus Christ, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, requests with vehement cries and tears to him who was able, remember that, who was able to save him from death and was heard. I'm sure he's talking about Jesus when he was in Gethsemane in the garden. Why was Jesus heard? He tells us, because of his godly fear. And that's the equation. You want to know how to have your prayers answered? Here's the equation. 
request, you have to request them, and walk in godly fear. Those are answered prayers. In what sense did God hear his prayer? We might say. Some say that God heard the prayer of his son and that Jesus fully accepted the divine will and pursued it. Another possible interpretation is that his prayer was not to be spared from dying. That wasn't his request, but to be delivered from the consequences of death. The deliverance from death occurred, we know, in the resurrection. But the equation, once again, is godly living, and when you request, he hears. Now, I know he hears at other times. So that would put me in the other camp. I don't do everything perfectly. I walk in a sphere of righteousness, but I'm not Jesus. I don't do everything perfectly. So he even hears when we're not walking correctly. But I'm saying if if you want to pray in confidence, and if you want to hear him when you pray, reverence God and walk in his ways. James chapter 5 tells us this, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. We can do that if we have that equation correctly. Jesus was perfect once again. Why would he need to learn obedience? That's what I want to know. He never disobeyed. See, Jesus shared in the Father's omniscient. Why would he need to learn anything? Once again, it's the Christmas season. And Dr. Luke, I'm reminded of what he said. He said in Luke chapter 2, and Jesus increased. He was a little child at this time, a little boy at this time. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. But remember in the book of Philippians, in that epistle, Jesus emptied himself, kenosis, self-emptying. I don't think Jesus gave up his attributes of deity, though. He was always God, but he surrendered the right to use those attributes independently of God. When God said use them, he used them. He relied on God to do the work for him, being God. So our high priest has compassion on us in our ignorance as we're led out of the way. You know what I'm talking about. It's easy to be led out of the way. If you live in this world, it's easy to be led out of the way. That's why we must be in prayer. That's why we must be in the word. That's why we must be fellowshipping with believers. You shouldn't be a long ranger thinking you're going to walk correctly with the Lord. In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers. It says here, and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That's ek, out of death. And was heard because of his godly fear. Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, crying out to the Father, learning all the time, learning obedience through the things that he had to suffer. 
until he says, and I love that scene on the passion of the Christ because he's, pardon my French, he's catching trouble as he's on his knees and he's praying. And he seems like he's almost at the point, I can't make this. And the serpent is crawling all around and you know what he does. He stands up and he bruises the snake heels and I'm ready, Father. I'm ready to obey your will. My flesh was on me. I didn't, I didn't want to do this. I know it's going to be trouble. I know it's going to be hell to pay. But it's not about me. Victor, if you could ever get that straightened out. It's not about me. It's about you. And it's about honoring you. And when we pass through that veil and understand that, we can get up just like Jesus did and says, okay, I can do it because you've heard my prayer and you're still wanting me to do this. So it has to be glory on the other side. That's what we have to understand. Not my will, but thy will be done. Even in that, Jesus was being obedient and learning obedience in his suffering. What a remarkable idea for us to think about. He understands the difficulty you and I have in regards to obedience. And you know, because we can read the scripture. That's the easy part. We can study the scripture. But those times are just prerequisites to test in our lives. It's easy to read it. But sooner or later, God has said, now here comes the test. Let's see what you're going to do. When we know the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, you need to live by the scriptures, not just read it, not just study the scripture, not just have a Christian T-shirt on. It's about living according to the scriptures. That's what the Bible is for. If you live in the Bible, you will live life. You will live the life that God wants you to live. If we live by the Bible, we will live the life that God wants us to live. He says he learned obedience in the things that he suffered. Crying out to God, even as a son, he didn't take that place. But as our high priest, he went through the difficulties. And there in Gethsemane, crying with vehement tears, Abba. Father, Daddy, if there's any way, let this cup pass. If there's any way, let this situation at home pass. It's tough on me. It's hard on me. Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand that this situation is putting a burden on on me and my family and whatever else. He's omniscient. He sees it. But he has something, believe me, we haven't arrived yet. He has something that he wants us to learn in those situations. Can't get away from it. And the fear, I want you to understand, it's not, it's not phobia. He's not terrorized. It's the word that speaks of He was in the 
fear of God. He reverenced God. He wanted to obey God no matter what. He might didn't like the answer, but he reverenced it, knowing that his decision was best for him, decision that God made. But he was pleading before Almighty God, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass. And he understands you and I as our high priest. When we come to that place, we're saying, Lord, I know this is what your word says to do. And I know that this is your will because I've asked, but I don't know if I have the faith to take the step or to continue to walk in this way because he's learned. He's gone through those same pathways Jesus Christ has, and he understands what we're made of, and he will strengthen us if we don't run away. He will lead us. As we come and we ask, Lord, help me to be obedient, to be, to take on your revealed will. I want to do what you say. Verse 8 says, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience. That's interesting to me. By the things which he suffered. Who in here likes to suffer? Raise your hand. (laughs) Yeah. No hands there. We live in this world. They will come. Times will come. But he, he just doesn't rain suffering down and laugh about it. Nothing, I've said it a thousand times, nothing comes to you, nothing comes to me unless it's filtered through Jesus Christ's loving hands. Every trial, every heartache, He opens it up and lets it rain on us. That's what the word says. Because we haven't arrived yet. We're not walking like Christ 24-7. And that's that's what those trials are for. To make us, to turn us into the image of Jesus Christ. That I will be long suffering when trials come that I won't snap quick when trials come. And then it says, by the things which we suffered and having been perfected, the word perfect means complete. The Septuagint translates it consecrated or consecration. The idea is he learned obedience, Jesus Christ, by his full consecration. We like to... We would like all to be consecrated, set aside for the Lord, but that takes something. That takes trials. That takes heartaches. That takes temptations. Uh, First Peter says, so when he looks at you and you, he, you, you're that piece of gold in the pot, when it gets cleared up, they say when the priest could see his face, it was ready to come out. Huh. That's, that's, that's tough. We like the results, but we don't like going through it. But Jesus says, I'm a loving father. I'm a loving son. I have to put you through these things so that you'll be more and more like me. And, it's, and, and that's good. But really, 
more like him, then we can set with him and he draws close to us and we can be intimate with him. But, and that's great, but it's really for others. When we're around others, we're compassionate, we're kind, we're loving, we're like Christ. And it's just, it goes around and around and around. It's the full, complete message. It's the complete character of God infecting people. When you're around people, hey, I just like being around him. That means something. It's consecration. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. That obedience is faith, is belief there. Not that I have to work, work, walk perfectly. We, we should strive to do that. But he's talking about faith and obedience right here. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Thanks, Paul. He's just telling it like it is. So his encouragement to us is that we if we are going to be a high priest, that we can come to him, that he understands he ever lives, and he's at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He knows our name. He knows our problems. He knows our difficulties, and he can treat us as individuals. I like that because he's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere. He doesn't need to be divided up to give us his undivided attention. He can give it to everyone in this room at one time. And we struggle. We hear. You know, the key is we are also here on earth amongst other Christians. And we are imperfect. Not here this morning. I don't want to say y'all are. I'm talking about the Wednesday evening service. I'll put it on them. The idea is we're called into community. And more than a community, it's really a family of other believers saved by grace with the same high priest that they need to run to. And if you don't realize that, you can be stumbled. You could struggle in this room, there are people of all different points in their growth with Christ. There are some that are newly saved. They're just trying to figure out what in the world is happening in my life right now. They were on drugs. They may be taking opioids, those that are watching online last week, and now they have a Bible in their hand. We're all in different stages of growth. Same high priest, though, same spirit that ministers to us. But our high priest has compassion. He learned obedience in the things he suffered. Verse 11 says, of whom we have many things to say, and they are hard to utter, seeing you are dull of hearing. Ignorance is working here. Ignoring, ignoring certain things they were dull of hearing. And his first challenge in the book was 
let us enter. Remember that? He said, let us enter. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us go on. Let us go into the promises, the rest that we have in Christ. Now he's going to say, let us go on to maturity. And there were certain things that were only applicable to the Jews who believed in that day. And we'll look at them, but he's saying, right now you're dull of hearing. So if I look at the positive side of that, one of the signs of maturity is that we're willing to hear, that we want to grow, that we want to hear what the word says, that we want to bring our lives in line with what the word says. That's a signal of maturity. Maturity is not the same as old age. One's an accumulation of years, and somebody can accumulate years and still be shallow. Maturity, it accumulates depth, not just length. So he's saying to these believers that they were dull of hearing, and they're in particular, their struggle because they were not listening. Verse 11, of whom we have much to say in regards to this priesthood, but you're dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You've entered into a second childhood. Man, I'm glad I was born when I was born. Everybody probably says that. My dad would say, man, he was glad when he was born. But, and I think about that. But I think of all the age groups I could have been born in. I'm a baby boomer. Right in the 60s, where it was enough stuff to keep my attention, but it wasn't so much to overwhelm me. Now, you know, you can click a link and you can be anywhere you want to. I had enough trouble with other things. God knew me. He knew where to place me. By now, you should be growing, but you become kids again. He's saying, we thought by this time you've heard enough. You should be teachers. Instead, you know, you have need of milk again. And the scripture in the Bible, the word of God is referred to as water. You know, when it's water for drinking, it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. Whenever it's water for washing, it's the word. Sometimes the word is a sword like it was in chapter four, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now he's talking about the word in context here, as he did in, Corinth, in the Corinthians because of their carnality. There's the milk of the word, and there what we're looking at now is meat, the solid things of the word of God. And he's challenging them once again. You know, you've been around long enough. You should be embracing the things of faith, taking hold of them, and instead you're still nursing. You're still a kid. They call that stunted growth. And we all know babies are cute when they're babies. Leah and I, we've had two. I've 
She's fed them. I've cleaned them with pampers and did everything else and didn't have a problem with that. But if they were 14 years of age and I was still changing their pampers, there's something wrong. Mentally, physically, something wrong. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. By now you should be eating solid food, but you're still tasting milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God, in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Some translations may say everyone that uses milk, just the basics, truth of the word. The only application you make in your life is inexperience. Notice the word, immaturity. Immaturity is someone who is inexperienced in the word. It isn't just knowledge, it's experience. The only way you're experiencing the word is you learn obedience through the things you suffer. Once again, you can't get around it. To enter the word into the word and live the word That's a sight of maturity when you begin to walk out what the scripture says. What does it look like in life? It isn't just knowledge. So some people just use milk. That's all. That's all they know how to handle. He says here because they're inexperienced in the words of righteousness. He says, for he is a babe, verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are full age of maturity. That is those who by reason of use, that's daily walking, that's not daily reading. It's good to daily read, but you you have to walk it out. That's what he's speaking of. By daily walking upright is experience. He's skillful in the use of the word. He says they have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So those who come to maturity, one of the signs is they know how to delineate. They know how to divide. They know how to say, you know, this is right and this is wrong. And it's applicable to their lives. Look, this attitude is wrong. This gossip is wrong. This immorality is wrong. You know, this is the, this goal you're seeking after is wrong. This dedication of my resources and my energies is wrong. They know how to delineate. And in the lives of someone else, when it comes to someone else, when it comes to helping someone else, they're in the role of the high priest. They're not judgmental. But as a compassionate priest, and that's mandatory, you have to be compassionate if you're going to exercise your maturity in the life of another believer, that you're not a Pharisee, that you're doing it in a compassionate way because that reflects our great high priest. They should find grace in our words. The word should be seasoned with salt. The challenge to go on to maturity, there's a little quip And I love this saying, and it's so true. Being above with those we love, that will certainly be glory. But to be here below 
with those we know. That's another story. In case you didn't hear it, I'm going to repeat it one more time. This is it. Being above with those we love, that will certainly be glory. But to be here below with those we know, hmm, that's another story. We must be gentle. We must not waver on the word of God. Not being judgmental. Treating people with love. Speaking the truth in love. That's a faithful high priest. And that's what we're all called to. I want to call Pastor Brian up. Uh, Then I'll... Then after Pastor Brian...